This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. We are going to cover today Acts 24, 1, all the way to Acts 25, 12, but we're only going to be reading Acts 24, 22 through 27. If this is your first time with us today, we're so glad that you came. Um, this is uh, a joy to have and be a part of this community, and uh, we are one of ten congregations just thinking about all the people that are worshiping across this state. Uh, Redemption Church is one of ten congregations, believe all of life is all for Jesus. I love thinking about that as we're worshiping together, just thinking of God moving throughout this state in different locations uh, and, and just the beauty of what it is to be a part of such a, a great community. If you're new with us, we'd love for you to give us your visitor card information and get some information to you. Also, check in on you, see if we could get you plugged into a redemption community. Well, our communities are where the life of, of the church is happening, people meeting in homes, eating together, fellowshipping, studying the word together praying doing mission together and so if you want more information about that uh, uh, then just ask us and we'll make sure to get you plugged in to one of those besides that we love to preach the bible and so if you love the bible uh, then you're at the right spot we're going to preach the bible together we go through books of the bible right now we're on like pastor wayne said the landing pad if you will uh, we're getting to the end of acts and then we're going to start into a few weeks in in proverbs and then we're going to end the year with our Advent series. Next year, we're actually going to be going through the book of Ephesians. So we got a lot coming up and excited about where God has us in his word. So if you will, could you stand with me? We love to stand in respect to God's word um, and, and remembering that this is his word. So as we're reading this short section, uh, a smaller section in the whole in which we'll be studying today, we're going to read 22 through 27 in Acts chapter 24. And remember, as we're reading this, this is God's word. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have, to, but have some liberty. And none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was, a Jew, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned about the righteousness and self-control of the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away from the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. And when two years has elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews' favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, I, I, I want us to make sure that as we approach listening to God's word, we're remembering this is God's word, and, and our role in the in, in approaching God's word is not necessarily study. It is good listening. We are to be listeners. Listening is hard. But, but those who have ears, let them hear. So often we can approach 
the, uh, our approach to scriptures can be analytical, meaning we should analyze the text and analyze what it is saying and study it and dissect it rather than what is the Spirit of God saying through His Word to us, His people. We need to be good listeners. This is God's Word. So as we approach a text like this, so often when we approach it like a textbook, what we can look at it as is kind of a text in history that has no word for today. So let me give context to Acts. As we've been kind of rolling through Acts, some things have become uh, really clear. That this time, if you could go to the next slide for me, there's, there's some points here that I want us to look at in context context of, of, of Paul's missionary journey and what's happening in Acts. They're politically divided. You can see that today. There, there's a political element of what's happening in the world and there's division in their politics. It's socially unjust. There's a lot of things happening that are wrong and unjust, right? That's them though. They're politically divided. They're socially unjust. What else do we see? They're religiously confused. There's arguments and fights amongst the, 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 the people of God's the Sadducees, the Pharisees. There's religious arguments that are happening, and that is emotionally exhausting. Now, if I just said that's their context, does anybody relate to that? We live in a world much like then. Politically divided. We are more divided than we've ever been. Socially unjust. There are things wrong in our world. You can say amen to that. There are things wrong. And religiously confused. We are more fights and more battles and more confusion surrounding religion. And it's emotionally exhausting. Now, inside of that, what we have to remember is that all of this, and I keep going back to this because this is important, all of the book of Acts is not about the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Church. We need, we need to remember that the Acts of the Apostles and the Acts of the Church are empowered by the ministry of the resurrected Jesus. I'm going to say this and then you say amen. I'm, I'm, I'm going to set you up. Jesus is alive. That's where the church should say amen. That's why we have hope. That's why we even gather. That's why we even are who we are. Because our God is alive. Jesus is alive and still at work through his people by his spirit. On this next slide, uh, what I want us to look at is the parallels between what Luke wrote in Luke's gospel and what Luke is writing now in Acts. That's the next slide. Then you won't be able to read all of these, but I just wanted you to put them up there just for you to see. There are so many parallels between what has happened in Luke because Luke is, is is projected to be the author of Acts. What happened in Luke? So Luke wrote this preface to uh, to uh, in Luke to Theopolis, and in Acts he writes this to Theopolis. The Spirit descends upon Jesus as he prays, and the Spirit comes on the apostles as they pray. Sermons are declared and prophecies are fulfilled in Luke, and sermons are declared and prophecies are fulfilled in Acts. Jesus heals lame and sick and Jesus through his apostles heals 
the lame and the sick. Centurions are invited to Jesus to his house. Centurions are invited by Peter to their house. So you can see all these things that happened to Jesus are now happening to the apostles and to the church. And this is intentional. Because what we are to see in this as we are reading through the book of Acts is that Jesus is still alive and at work. And the same spirit that dwelt in Christ is now dwelling within his people. The same things, the same spirit of things that happened to Jesus is now continuing. The work of God through Jesus is continuing By his spirit through his people. This is powerful to us because as we read books like this, we can end up focusing on all of the powerful things that happened to Jesus. And we want to see those same powerful things that happened to Jesus happen to us. But what we don't want is the same persecution that Jesus went through to happen to us and this is the part that we land on today the same persecution that happened to jesus who filled with the same spirit who faced that persecution is now happening to paul who is filled with the same spirit that dwelt in christ is now dwelling in paul and he's facing very similar persecution Nobody wants to come and listen to a message when they come to church on practical tips for how to be persecuted, right? Matter of fact, if we face any sort of persecution, we're, we're calling out the devil. Devil? Right? <laughs> None of that here. We're not going to face it. We'll rebuke it. We will, uh, we will run from it. We will uh, believe it. there's no way that God would want us in that. And when we hear things like greater things will happen and be done in the disciples than even what took place in Jesus himself, you see this, well, well, I want to see greater power, greater miracles But we don't want to see an increase of persecution. Church, the reality is, when you live in politically divided times, socially unjust, and religiously confused times, we're going to start to see the same kinds of tactics that have been used throughout Scripture, the same kinds of tactics, the same kinds of persecution, if you will, if the church of God is being faithful and living amongst these times in, these, in this world as God has called us to, we're going to start to see the same kinds of tactics. Now, maybe some of us, as we're going through something like this, have a hard time relating because maybe we're like, man, I've never really sensed this because we're more worried about our own individual lives and we kind of don't get caught up in the things that are happening in the world around us but today I I want to kind of speak to and maybe there's some kind of personal crossover to this but I want to kind of speak to what you see happening in times of persecution to kind of bring to light the same kind of tactics here's what I want you to hear tips for the persecuted People who disagree with you, 
will say serious things about you that are not true. That's actually what it says in chapter 25, verse 7, if you want to look. They brought many serious charges against Paul that they could not prove. Sounds like Jesus, right? Says that he was falsely accused, that when they saw that he was going to be put on trial, they started falsely accusing him, started making up accusations and going after Jesus to try to build a case against him. Here's what you start to see happening as you hit a nerve in a proclamation of the gospel. When you're trying to proclaim the gospel, what ends up happening is it confronts people's idols, it confronts people's religion, it confronts the powers that are in place, and, and what you start to see is we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of the darkness of this age, but what ends up happening is we have to keep being reminded of that, because the people that we are in this world with start making it really personal. It is a tactic of the enemy to start attacking the character of the messenger as to defame the message in which they're preaching. The interesting part is, whenever anybody starts saying things about us, we see this in the world around us. I mean, one of the favorite tactics on social media or any kind of argument is when somebody starts feeling like they're being attacked and they're starting they start going after the other person right they're this they're that well they're just this and they start categorizing and falsely accusing and trying to oversimplify everything and they start attacking the person who's saying something this is like a favorite uh tactic of a mob they love to go after the statements of who that person is. When you look at Jesus, it says that he remained quiet in the face of false accusations. When you look at Paul, there's an interesting thing that says when he stood before this court, he said, I cheerfully defend myself. I read that and I'm going... If somebody's coming after me, it's hard for me to be cheerful and not to take it personal and not to start going back at them with every attack that I could think of, especially if you have a quick tongue. You can turn it around and make it personal really, really quick. But Paul does not make it personal. Matter of fact, it says that he cheerfully defends himself. And if you see the way he defends himself, he does it with this confidence and this cheer in Christ. And, and, and he's not trying to defend who he is, but he points it back in verse 21 of chapter 24. Other than this, this one thing I have cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day here's what he does he does it with the right posture of cheerfulness doesn't take it personal and he ends up taking the argument back to its root this is about the resurrection this is not about me this is not about what i've done this is not about how i've handled things this is about 
the resurrection. And here's what we can do if we don't take it back to the source of the real struggle, right? This is about the resurrection of the dead. This is an argument over, is Jesus alive? Is he making all things new? I've been proclaiming that Jesus is alive and he has this resurrected people and this is causing a lot of struggle and a lot of debate and a lot of confusion and they're wanting to kill me and so they're building a case against it. This is not about me. This is about the gospel. You see, it is really difficult to be cheerful when you're being personally attacked. And the only way you can do that is if you have a firm sense that this wrestle is not against me and them. But it is against principalities and rulers of the darkness of this age. This is a spiritual battle and we need to take it back to the root of where this really lies. This is a gospel issue. I don't have anything to defend. I'm going to tell you, this may be just me preaching to myself, but there are so many times where people will call and say, Pastor, can you come in and just kind of help us? And what they mean by that is take my side. And I come in just going, oh, they want me to come in and preach the gospel and kind of come in and bring light the gospel. And it realizes quickly they didn't want me to bring kind of a, a gospel a perspective they wanted me to take their side and as soon as I don't take their side they make me an enemy and start attacking my intentions and I didn't even ask to be in your business right start attacking attention start attacking personnel and and here's the reality even the things that are being attacked I could, I really could, I could give you better things that could demolish me. Like, I could give you better attacks, right? I am not elevating myself saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying that I got it all together. I'm not trying to say that I know everything. I'm just trying to help and bring the gospel. And what ends up happening is they don't want the message. So they go after the messenger. This is a tactic of the enemy and if the church falls into this trap they become more concerned with defending themselves than they do the gospel you see this happen in the world right now church church we have so many things that people could pick us apart on we should stop trying to defend ourselves and just stick to declaring the truth of who Christ is because the reality is, there are so many things that could defame us that, we've, that we haven't walked uprightly in. There's so many things that, it, and the reality is, listen, we could give them even more ammo if they need it. The truth is, we're not the ones who are getting to proclaim the gospel because we've done everything right. We have to do our best, like Paul who says, I've done my best to write up, uprightly. That was part of his defense. I've done my best to continue to kind of, uh, to not cause troubles and problems. And then inside of that, he points it back to this reality of, this is about the gospel. Cheerful defense. Second thing is this, and I don't want to spend a, a bunch of time on these two things, because I want to get to one main point and then pray. 
Money controls all of these conversations. So don't try and shortcut the process with bribery and greed. Verse 26, look at verse 26 where you can see this full out. Here's a government official in verse 26 who it says straight out, at the same time he was hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. His whole hope in this was that Paul would use bribery to shortcut the process to get himself out of prison. Rather than staying in prison, this government official wants a bribe. Listen, you don't have to look very far. If you follow money, you will find corruption and greed and bribery. You will find injustice in politics, in churches, in in, in all the social injustices. You follow money, you will find the root of all kinds of evil. Scripture says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I'm telling you, more people are concerned about their comfort and financial state status than they are about the injustices in the world. And when it comes down to it, they just don't want to lose that. And when they feel that threatened, and when they feel that, they, and a lot of the injustice and a lot of the struggles and a lot of the things that we're seeing are following lines of power and money. And when you see that as a follower of Christ, something should uh, irritate you. Because money is in competition for the affections that can only be given to God. Money is in competition of worship that only belongs to God. We should see that idolatry, we should know that it's there, and we should refuse to take the shortcuts because so many people have that same idolatry. They know if I could just bribe, if I could just go after money itself, I could find I could find ways to shortcut. You see, the temptation that even Satan himself gave to Jesus was, I'll give you all of this. I'll give you wealth, money, land. I'll give you all of this if you'll just worship me. Money is a seductive Savior that we could really start to believe could bring us comfort could bring us freedom could bring us hope could bring us joy and the reality of this is is this love of money is what's causing a lot of this confusion power struggles unjust things that are taking place in our world and people who are controlled by greed looking for bribes looking for more money follow money and you will find so much corruption Luke points this out as he's talking about what is Felix really wanting as he's talking to Paul. In the face of this, personal attacks and greedy people, everything in us wants to go, this is not fair. We need to fight this. We need to overturn this. We need to change this. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is not good. I'm being... I'm being taken advantage of. I'm being thrown in prison. He cheerfully defends himself and he patiently waits. Do you see that line that says he's in prison for two 
years? Here's the next thing I want to give to you for those who are in the midst of this kind of stuff. Be ready to wait a long time. (laughs) Because uh, it's going to be longer than you want. Be ready to wait for a long time. Wait. Why I want to spend all of our time on you, that's the next slide. Why I want to spend all of our time on this point, find rest in the waiting room, because you'll be here longer than you want to be. It's one of the things that we all struggle with. It's waiting. I would rather hear yes or no than wait. Just give me an answer. Like if it's no, fine, I'll deal with it. But don't make me wait. There's all this injustice out there. There's so many problems. Tell me what work do I need to do? And he has to wait in prison, constantly being summoned over and over again for more and more conversations with these governors and kings. Can we just be honest? The idea of waiting drives us nuts. Waiting is the worst. I'll just put it this way. Waiting is way harder than working. Way harder. I would rather work than wait. Have you heard the story of Jesus giving this parable of a man who owns a field and he goes into the marketplace and there's people waiting for a job. They're waiting for work. And this man who owns a field grabs A worker and says, come with me first thing in the morning. That worker goes into the field. Remember this parable? He gets to work. They agree upon a rate for the day. And then later on, a couple hours later, he goes back to the marketplace and there's still people who haven't been picked up for work waiting there. So what he says is, hey, you want to work? Yeah. They come into the field. A few hours later, he goes back. Gets another worker. At the end of the day, when there's only like an hour left of work, he shows up and there's only a couple people waiting for work. Everybody else has gone home. And he grabs that one who waited and he brings him into the field and he only works. They're lining up to get paid and he starts paying the person who worked basically an hour. And he gives them a full day's wage. And the people down the line are going, Woo! Bonuses! If he paid him a full day, and I was actually here a full day, and he pays them all the same amount. And everybody's getting frustrated and angry. This is wrong! Injustice! And he goes, didn't I agree that this was going to be your payment from the beginning? Yeah, but you paid him and he only worked an hour. This is hard for workers to understand. 
But in the kingdom, you're rewarded the same for waiting as you are for working. Because I'm going to tell you this. It was harder for the person to stay in the marketplace waiting all day. Watching everybody else get picked up to work. And not giving up and walking away. And staying there all day waiting. Waiting is harder than working. The thing that we also don't get in a world that we live in is waiting can be more fruitful than working. Here's a couple things I want us to think about. Scripture says things like those who wait on the Lord, He will renew their strength. Christians are marked as a waiting people. We are called to wait for that day when He's going to come and make all things new. The time of Advent is supposed to be a built-in liturgy that teaches us to wait. While everybody else is rushing around in the hustle and bustle of the holidays, Christians are supposed to go, no, this is a practice of waiting. Opening one little Advent piece of the calendar, lighting one little candle, waiting, waiting, waiting for the time in which Jesus will return, which He will come in that second advent, waiting. The, the people of God, the people of Israel, the chosen people, were waiting for the coming of the Messiah, and we've been given the Spirit while we wait. When Jesus is ascending in Acts chapter 1, He says, wait in the upper room, and when my Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. The Christian is marked by waiting, not by working. The works of the flesh are all kinds of evil. Lust, greed. When we go to work, here's what we produce. Greed, lust, division. All kinds of evil. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, What? Work is marked with is flesh. What abiding and waiting and being filled with the Spirit is marked with is fruit that we cannot produce apart from trust and obeying and His Spirit producing it in us. Spiritual transformation doesn't take place when we want it to. It often takes place while we're waiting. Can you say amen to that? It is forged in hoping and trusting and spiritual transformation often happens in the waiting room and not in the surgery room. Hear this. Three benefits that God does while He's waiting. You grow stronger and your trust deepens 
we see that God is at his most powerful while we are waiting. Can you say amen to that? While we are weak, he is strong. We are aware in our waiting that we are inadequate. But we are at the best place because we are aware of his power. In the waiting room, God refines our character. He does this deep work as we embrace our weakness and he places on us where true power comes from. Trusting. Trusting. How quickly do we become aware of how bad we are at trusting God when we have to wait? And he keeps saying, trust me. No, I want to do something. Trust me. I got to say something. Trust me. I got to fix this. It's corrupt. There's money problems. And people are, trust me. Did you hear what they said about me, God? Trust me. I want to wait. I want to fix this. Wait. You know what happens? I have grown more as a matter, as a man of God, as a, as a follower of Christ in the times of waiting than I have in every bit of effort that I've ever tried. You see, what matters most isn't what is happening to us, but it's what's happening in us. What matters in this text is not what's happening to Paul. It's unjust, it's ungodly, it's unbiblical, it's unfair. But something is happening in him. Notice this. Paul is fulfilling his calling in his waiting he said that he would be persecuted and that he would speak before kings and governors. And in his waiting, he is being put in prison. And whenever they want him, they summon him to talk to him. And he becomes a witness before, before the most influential, powerful people in the land. You want to know what happens when we wait? We get the best opportunities to be witnesses. We feel like we cannot be good witnesses of the kingdom unless we're stronger than everybody else. I, I, I think we need to reevaluate because what we do as churches is what we try to do is say, we're more entertaining, we're better, we're greater, you should come here because look at, we're the best, we're the best, we're the best. Better year, greater year, stronger year. We want to be a witness. More money, more financial prosperity. We're growing, 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 growing. We want to outpower and think that the best witness is power. But weakness is our best witness. Waiting. You see, the most influential times that Paul got to have in his witness was every 
time they would call him for corrupt reasons and he would reason with them and they'd go, go back to your prison. But when I want to talk to you again, I'm going to call you. And for two years, he's being brought in and out of close proximity to governors, leaders, and used as a witness. God is using us in our waiting as witnesses. You never know when you're going to be called on. Here's what we think about waiting. We think waiting is sitting around, twiddling our thumbs, bored, got nothing to do. We think of waiting as the ten virgins, right, who said, the groom is coming, be prepared, keep oil in your lamp. And they're like, oh, when is he going to come? And they don't put oil in their lamp, but there's five of them who go and have oil ready in their lamp. And the five who were waiting, just twiddling their thumbs, not ready, When he came and when he called, they couldn't say anything. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't enter in. But the ones that were waiting and ready, as soon as the groom come, they were ready to go into the banquet. We've got to change our mindset of waiting. It's not lazily, passively, just sitting back, doing nothing. Waiting is being ready whenever you're called on. It is, it is, it is the starting line where on your marks, get set, I want to go, I want to go, but you're waiting, you're waiting for the go, you're waiting for the call. You're anticipating. You are waiting. You are ready. Paul writes to his son in the ministry in 1 Timothy. And I want you to turn there if you can with me. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. He writes to Timothy, his son in the ministry. And he writes this to Timothy while he's in prison. Now, here's what I don't want you to think I'm saying. Not saying it's specifically this prison experience. But just think of this. Paul has spent most of his life persecution inside of prisons. There's things in and out. I mean, and a lot of his letter writing, a lot of scripture that was written was written from prison. So Paul wasn't just sitting around twiddling his thumbs. He was writing. He was ready. And every time the governors, the rulers of the land would call on him, he would go and give a witness. He was ready. So here's what I want us to think of when we think of waiting. I don't want us to think of lazy. I want us to think of ready, which makes waiting worse. (laughs) Waiting when you're ready makes it even worse. It's like, I know they're supposed to be here. I'm already ready. We got to get there. I want you to think of ready. And then 
With all of that in mind, I want you to hear Paul as he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's what he says. I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete, uh-oh, uh-oh, this is a cuss word, patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they have itching ears and they'll accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Church, Paul did not think of his time in prison as a waste but as a opportunity to be ready to preach in season and out of season and what he is telling his son in the ministry is this be ready in season and out of season be patient endure suffering this carries so much weight when you realize that he is saying in verse 6 i'm already being poured out as a drink offering my time of departure is is coming i've fought the good fight i've finished the race i've kept the faith therefore lay up there's laid up for me crowns of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but also those who have loved his appearing it says all of this that i've been waiting for is coming it's getting closer i cannot wait to get the true reward which is coming only as he comes and appears i've been waiting for his appearing what's given him hope in his waiting is christ's return church if there's anything that I can encourage you with this morning. Be ready. Don't try to make something happen, but be ready. Don't go into work mode, but go into waiting, praying, patience, enduring. Be ready. Be ready. You never know when you're going to be called on to give a witness. You never know when you're going to be called on to say the right thing. You never know when the Spirit of God is going to lead you to speak up. You never know when that opportunity is going to arise where you need to be ready. You never know how God is wanting to use you and move things. Listen, God sees and knows the corruption and injustice and division and problems. He knows and sees it. We're not fools to it. Money is driving a lot of this. We're not fools to it. We see it. We know it. But our eyes are wide open. Be ready. Be patient. Be marked by waiting. 
There's something that I want to call us to the communion table with. There's a parenting leadership principle, if you've done any study on this stuff. And it's called unanxious presence. Saying when your kids are freaking out and fighting and you come in and you start freaking out and fighting, all you do is escalate the situation. But it says, when you walk into a place, kids or leadership-wise, you're to come in as an unanxious presence. One of the things that I see myself, and my kids can get caught up in passions and desires, just like Paul says to Timothy, the world's going to try to surround themselves with people who will tell them what they want to hear. But have you ever walked into a, a fight with your kids, if you have them, or seeing teenagers fight or whatever and you go it's cute fight it's cute they're fighting over a toy or a girl they've known for a couple weeks they're fighting over all these passions and desires and there's something in you that goes I've been here I've walked through this I know it's going to work out just wait be patient trust you're to be that unanxious presence. Why? Because you have hope anchored that even though they see what's happening in them right now, you're able to bring in this trust, wait. We've been through this. We know who's in control. We got this. Basically, not get swept away in anxiety and passions. One of the things that I am burdened about for the church is it seems like everybody in our world is anxious. Everybody in our world is wanting to fix it and do. Everyone in our world is swept away with anxieties, and the church is supposed to be that salt and light, that unanxious presence. Be anxious for nothing. That unanxious presence that goes, God's in control. We're going to suffer. We're going to endure. Yeah, but it's been two years. I know. But God has eternity. Life is just a vapor. All of this is temporal. I'm deeply anchored in trusting in God. Yes, I want to fix these things. Yes, I want to work these things out. Yes, I want to be led by the Spirit and be salt and light and help to bring and fix and, 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 and have things repaired and restored. But so often I find myself in a place having to go, I've tried so many things. And God, I just want to trust you in it. Cheerful defense patient waiting and a deep trust anchored in this is all about Jesus church I, I just hope that today some of you would come to this table so thirsty 
for the grace, love of Jesus. I know we're late, so I did not expect this. Kaylee, could you come up here real quick, Kaylee? She sent us as elders a message this week. And uh, she didn't know she was doing this, so it's all right. But she sent us a message this week. And I know she was sitting back there going, God's saying something, right? Because it was exactly this, not knowing what I was preaching. So could you just speak that and then pray over us? Because I think it's important for us to hear that God is speaking to more of us this same word. So this week I was praying into the service and um, Aaron had asked me to. So I was praying, I had no idea. And I just felt such a strong sense in my spirit that a lot of us are going through things, but God really has a peace for us. Yes. And that peace isn't the absence of hard things. Yes, yes. But it's knowing that it's his presence yes. that's with us in those things. Yes. And um, as I was praying, I just felt like, be still my heart and know. Yes. Like, you are God alone. Like, stop thinking so much and just let go and let the Lord take care of those circumstances. Yes. Those unfinished ties that we've yes. been hoping for and waiting for. Yes. Um. So whatever circumstance it is that you guys are going through or you're feeling that, that anxiousness that Paul went through for yes, years, yes. that those are the things that's going to grow us. Yes. And those are the things, tension's beautiful because it holds things in place. Yes. And so when we're walking through those tensions, there's things that God wants us to like hold in place in mm. our hearts that the Lord is going to use later. Amen. So yeah, let's just pray. Okay, let's. God, I just come before you and I... God, I just come before you in wonder, knowing that I don't know. Yes. We don't know the future, God. We don't know what's going to happen, Father. We don't know, but God, we trust in a yes. perfect and an almighty God. Yes. Who, who calls us to yes. trust, who calls yes. us to a peace that's apart from our circumstances. Yes. That calls us to, um, God, just a walking through fire, knowing that our chains are going to be burned off, mm. God, in that place. God, and we just pray and we want to live in those moments. Where you call us to obedience. Yes. And not to comfort. So God, yes. I just lift up this week. God, you see the trials. You see everything that's going to happen from start to finish. And I just pray for a posture of our hearts to say, God, we trust you. Yes, we do. And we give you our hearts. We give you our minds. We give you our strength. And God, any place that it's been misdirected, yes. God, we ask that you put it in a place and a posture that you want, Lord. So, Father, we ask all these things through the name of Jesus, God, yes. whose blood we come to you pleading and, and knowing that it's because of him we can ask these things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, the tables are open. Let's come and commune with him. Let him minister to our hearts this morning. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.